Hey there, welcome to Why We Roll, a tabletop role-playing game design podcast. We're your hosts, Chris Pickett, creator of the historical fantasy game Dance Macabre, and Wythe Marshall, creator of the political sci-fi game Stillfleet. Throughout the show, Chris and Wythe hope to amplify new creative voices. We'll chat with different TTRPG designers focusing on the world of indie games. We take a curious approach to game design, working through a range of mechanical and narrative questions that are pertinent to many designers, players, and GMs. We hope to showcase fresh and even challenging ideas about what makes imagination-based games just so powerful. Okay, let's find out why we roll. How's it going, Chris? Doing well. How are you, wife? I'm all right. Uh, just shipping some books. Uh, speaking of <laughs> RPGs and the joys of making RPGs. Um, yeah, the, the joys of indie RPG publishing. Yeah, moving moving your own product. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it is hot. It yeah. is July in New York City yeah. when we're recording. We gotta make so. got to make sure we're hydrated while we're recording. <laughs> There's going to be so many like water sips. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, though. I think, you know. We gotta yeah. stay alive. Can't. Yeah, exactly. Can't just write games. You can't live on games alone. Oh, I really wish you could. Uh, I did in, too. in a metaphorical way, but <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Do you want to kick off? Do you want to? Do you want to tell um, listeners, you know, who you are and um, what brings you to why we roll and, and what why we roll is to you? And yeah, sounds great cool. to me. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Chris Pickett. Uh, I am a uh, I guess a multidisciplinary artist you know mainly uh i do uh tattoo work but also illustration and yeah games writing i've been uh writing games for the last really like with any real effort in the last like two years or so you know it's something that i've been passionate about since i was i think 12 or 13 is when i first picked up third edition dungeons and dragons at like my local GameStop. Um, and yeah, I mean, for, for the last, uh, 25, 26 years have been pretty consistently playing role-playing games more than anything else. Played a bunch of different versions of the dragon game, played, uh, you know, Pathfinder, bunch of indie stuff. But yeah. I mean, it just kind of eventually led to a point where it was like, well, I, you know, this is something that I care about. This is something that I make time for every week. You know, why not, why not write my own game? And I think as, as somebody who is you know, as an artist, as somebody who studied art, spent a lot of time investing in that, you know, I'm also interested in the craft of it more so than, than I think, you know, most players that I've, or GMs that I've kind of like interacted with over the years. Like I'm always interested in how mechanics and story and lore building and all of that interact to create, you know, I, I, I think a really complex and really beautiful piece of art. The game that I'm working on right now, I've got a few things kind of back burner but the one that i've been working on the most concentratedly lately is a game that i'm calling dance macabre dance macabre i don't really i don't speak french which makes the setting for my game a little dubious but yeah it's a it's a semi-historical i guess low fantasy game taking some of my favorite aspects of the fantasy genre Uh, it's meant to be really grim it's meant to be really dark but also rooted in uh rooted in real world history at the same time, like real political economy. Yeah. And also uh, just, just meditating on life and death in, I guess, European medieval society. Uh, the, the game itself, it's uh, the fantasy elements are that death has abandoned the world after 
you know, centuries of war after the, uh, the pestilence, the great plague has kind of wiped through most of the world population for reasons unknown. I leave it up to the player and the GM to kind of decide this, but for reasons unknown, death has just vanished from the world. You know, when you, when you die, uh, you are immediately kind of reborn, uh, in the same body, but you come back with strange corruptions, uh, that kind of lead to a generative experience while you're playing the game. It's the same character, but it's a little bit different every time you come back. And yeah, I mean, for me, it comes out of a love of OSR stuff. It comes out of a love of high lethality games, but also wanting to have some kind of like continuum or continuation for the characters. Yeah, that's dope. I mean, I think, um, yeah, like we've, we've talked about leading up to this show. I mean, I think we have a lot in common in terms of moving from the Dragon game to playing a wide variety of games to really um, becoming obsessed with the craft and like how you make these things and what about the uh, narrative design or the, the big ideas of the world um, are fun to play with like mechanically yeah. um, and how to get people to actually have fun. I mean, what about them are truly fun experiences for your friends and then strangers ultimately, as opposed to just like interesting mind games to read. So yeah, um, yeah I mean, I definitely share a lot of that. Um, so that's what the podcast is about. Yeah, so my name's Wythe Marshall, and I'm a writer, and yeah, I make uh, games and currently uh, created a, a game company called The Stillfleet Studio when I decided to publish a game kind of for real, but definitely as an indie project still, uh, called Stillfleet, which is a sci-fi game, which is very much um, political, and that's kind of the focus of our game practice, is to make games that are, uh, you know, number one, really, really fun and very high quality. Um, but also sort of do some sort of leftist political education and really challenge um, a lot of the things about the Dragon Game that are not just like, frankly, annoying or like old holdovers, but like consternating from a design standpoint, like the kind of colonialist, like just go kill quote unquote monsters, like everything that's an other kill it, take its gold and yeah. then go back to, you know, Waterdeep or whatever. Um, but it's because, you know, I mean, for one, that gets old, I think, especially for me as I aged and was no longer like a, a little boy who wanted to like kill things. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I never really wanted to kill things, but, but it also, uh, yeah, I think it's just like a really limiting design space. So you can mm -hmm. make games about all kinds of stuff. Um, and I actually really like action movies and spy movies and all that stuff. So, I mean, my games are, you know, my sci-fi is still pretty full of danger um, and stakes, but it's, it's sort of always political in the way in real life, like people don't wander alone in the wastes. That's just, it's never really happened from from a history standpoint, yeah. even as far as I understand big history all the way back to like the Neolithic or Paleolithic, people didn't wander alone. I mean, you would have died alone. So, yeah. you know, I, I like to make games about people in groups and I like to set them in the future because those are things I think a lot about. I write about the future of food otherwise. Uh, so all my games are not really about food. Um, they are kind of about the role of technology and like basically socialism versus capitalism. You know, what kind of world do we want to live in? How do we interact mm -hmm. with the environment? And I think environmentality is something you and I've talked about a lot. Another reason to have a design podcast was like, oh, there's so much to do thinking about the diegetic world and world building. And then how do you make cool rules for games? So I love like with Dance Macabre that you have the world built in in such a specific, interesting way um, that feels both kind of more serious or hard and less kind of fantastic and everyone's like a wizard yeah, um, yeah. but it still has a lot of the fantasy tropes that are really fun it still has a lot of just ttrpg stuff so sort of mutation basically dynamic this yeah. dynamic super fun um very different from what i was working on in the sense of the way i've kind of pitched Spillfleet and, and what it's grown into but actually pretty similar to my original love of of like games from DD to pathfinder to like really the osr and creating games that were just sort of a D20 game of my own design from the beginning, 
set in sort of apocalyptic far, far future earth where there's all kinds of, you know, everyone is basically a mutant. And so there's sort of yeah. no, no background, normal humanity, right? Everyone is an unhuman. So, um, you know, I think again, that it'll be interesting to come at this, um, podcast from our perspectives and uh, to build on these games and also mention other games that we're interested in. Cause I know we have other ideas yeah. beyond those two, which we're sort of trying to get into the world. So yeah, that's the short version of me. And I think, um, yeah, hopefully people would be interested in this podcast. There are other game design podcasts, I think, but I, I liked, um, for me, when I thought about it as like, we were, this is car talk, right? This is like yeah. really into yeah. the nitty gritty, but still very informal. So not like didactic, like you have to read theory to enjoy the podcast. So, right. Um, well, and I think, you know, one of the, the interesting things that we've talked about leading up to it. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is, um, yeah, you know, I mean, especially as like a relatively new designer and, and I, yeah, just thinking about the hurdles that go into all of this and, um, you know, something that we've talked about is outside of mechanical design, there's also graphic design, there's layout hmm. design, there's all of these other things that you may not necessarily be familiar with, but it is an integral part of designing a TTRPG. Like that just basic level of legibility is so very important. Like how do you get the information across? How do you get people to read it? and remain engaged with it. You know, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about that. I'm excited to hear what other designers have to say about that as well. And then, yeah, just thinking about like the, the challenges of implementing different mechanics of, of trying to like weave lore into the, uh, into the game itself. You know, I think that every game presents its own challenges in, in how you do that and how you want to communicate things and, you know, yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited to see uh, what other people have to say about that as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I think in addition to there's kind of like game design from a narrative and mechanical standpoint, which is I think often what we think of when we're talking about TTRPG game design. Mm -hmm. But then there's, as you're saying, graphic design, art direction, which are tightly linked. Um, typesetting is a specific aspect of graphic design. Yeah. Um, and then you get into like the business design, like how do you like create a TTRPG that goes out into the world and what channels? And there's so many good ways now, like if you're not as focused on that and you're just like, I'm going to publish something cool that people can find. I mean, itch.io is pretty awesome, I think. Yeah. Um, you can also get on DTRPG, which, you know, World20 owns DTRPG and they're, they're the biggest sort of marketplace for games. Um, and many people find games there. Um, I don't, but I mean, it, we, our games are there. You can buy them. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's plenty of awesome discords. Like we have a discord server and we're part of, um, you know, so many others where people really have awesome, interesting conversations just all the time. It's like endless, um, really kind of fun, deep conversations about game design. So, I mean, yeah. there's plenty of like free tools to start, but I think it'll be interesting to think about like that aspect too. Like what, like why game design, like toward what end is it, is it an art practice, a hobby? And at what point is it like? Oh, this is taking all my time. I need it to like make money. <laughs> you know, yeah. I need it to to pay for the books at least. You know, like book yeah, printing, yeah. not very lucrative, like a very costly thing. It's a high value, uh, you know, low margin business. So, mm -hmm. um, we can definitely yeah. get into that as well. I think in addition to the graphics and the, yeah. the the look and feel, and of course the core. You know, what makes the game fun piece. Yeah, yeah. It's not surprising that a few publishing houses, you know kind of hold a lot of power in the space, um, whether it's TTR, I mean, just book publishing in general, you know, it's yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's hard, it's hard to do. Uh, and like you said, it's not very lucrative and requires a lot of lift, a lot of labor. Yeah. I mean, the, the amortization of IP is this thing that 
is it's really just a metonym for this bigger thing in capital where it concentrates like the the example that jumps to mind is in in um 40 rock the company making microwaves buys nbc and so it's like nbc's <laughs> whole point is to like sell microwaves sell like microwaves. it has no <laughs> it, it isn't about like is snl funny it's just like do we sell microwaves and that's kind of how i think like you could say like when the guys who made magic bought tsr and then they're in turn bought right it's like the disneyfication of everything where li- literally disney might end up you know one day buying hasbro who knows but basically you have giant companies that are like we need to sell marvel crap right we need to sell whatever stuff that actually makes money which yeah. really is somehow tied to like selling cars you know some other deal it has nothing to do with games right and it filters down to like well we own all these other properties all these brands right um for the game designer it's not a brand it's your passionate thing you're that's so fun that you spend all this time on and you, you hang out with your friends and, and try to make really enjoyable and deep share deep experiences it's like making art it's like making a play um mm-hmm. or writing a novel more than you know running a company in that sense so i definitely think it's interesting that games games provide such a crystal clear example of this bigger thing in capitalism where you know the power and wealth concentrates at the top and these very few hands who do not care about art or deep experiences or challenges to these systems you know they're not interested in that so yeah, yeah i mean i don't think right now um is particularly like you know a good time to make games in any sense economically but i also don't <laughs> think it's like there's been that much or you know it's like what do you expect this is just like capitalism and i don't think it's a bad time in that sense either it's like well there's plenty of people play games it's people love this stuff there's a lot of new people discovering ttrpgs specifically which is awesome so yeah absolutely yeah. We can get get into all that stuff, and and I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, this is stuff we haven't talked about as much. I feel like we've you and I have talked a lot about like specific game things we find fun, but mm-hmm. you know, I am curious what your thoughts are on because um, you you've also tried to make like right like a war game with someone, and you know you've you've had some yeah. practice in this world too. So yeah, um, for sure, these will be episodes, I guess. Yeah, I guess. well, well, let's let's save it for let's okay. save it for an episode. But I I yeah, I think uh, talking about the market economy of even just putting a game out is super interesting i mean you know from yeah from my experience war game board game stuff that's more materials heavy or component heavy that is that's a whole can of worms like Mm. you have to have so much volume in order for that to be economically feasible in any way shape or form and yeah i mean you know yeah i I would be curious i have some friends that are indie board game designers i'd be curious to get them on the show to talk about this too because there is overlap i think um, between the different types of publishing yeah, totally. I mean, I, I I really prefer TTRPGs for a variety of reasons that I can articulate, but not in a, like, um, it's not like an, oh, I think objectively they're better. It's like, I prefer them for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, and yeah. this show, I think, will concentrate in that space because that's where you and I have spent more time recently writing and creating. But, you know, we also play board games and we're, we're designing a board game based on Stillfleet that is a different it's at a different level diegetically. So it's about middle management as opposed to sort of the void uh, miner out doing the murder hoboing. Um, but it, it is ultimate, and you know, it's card based. So it'll all, all be cards, different kinds of yeah. different cards set up in a, in, in a play area. But, um, but that's definitely something I'd love to, to talk about. Cause it's, it's, it's very much a draft, you know, in process kind of game. So it, it's sort of playable and it's sort of like, doesn't make any sense yet, but yeah. So we'll have on different that's the, folks. That's the sweet spot, man. That's yeah, yeah, good yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, speaking of Stillfleet, let's talk about it. Let's talk a little bit about Stillfleet. I mean, you know, we got we got brief intro at the top. 
but you know, I I would love to hear more about like what the what the kernel of Still Fleet was like. Where you know, outside of just having played games and and being like, oh, this is something that I want to do. Like, you know, is that? Do you think that there's an identifiable moment where you were like, oh, I have this universe that I want to put out? Um, because I think one of the one of the cool things about well, one of the many 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 cool things about Still Fleet is just how thoughtful the kind of background, the lore building, the setting itself is. Can you kind of speak to how that came to be? Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. Um, I mean, it came to be, like, I think a lot of big long-term whatever projects, um, especially kind of artistic projects, over years unconsciously, while consciously playing games and trying to do certain things, like, one at a time. But the totality, it's one of those, like, cloud droplet distinction problems. Like, when did all of those things become Stillfleet specifically versus, well, Wythe runs a lot of, like, OSR games set in a very specific setting he's, like, built up in his head. But in a way that I feel like I... I really vibe, um, and I always mention this kind of early on with like the work of not just um, M. John Harrison, who wrote the Viraconium books, but writers like that who kind of satirize the urge toward like nerd culture and who also do it very mm-hmm. politically and very, very elegantly. So the prose level is is without parallel. I mean, it's just some of the best writing. Um, I think Le Guin, similarly, you know, raised by famous anthropologists, kind of trained as an anthropologist, yeah. is satirizing anthropology and satirizing aspects of left politics while still ostensibly like kind of a socially aware leftist herself right and definitely a feminist and all that so i think those writers like always have stuck with me and when i think about my own world building like i get really into it because that's fun but i see that like some of the job is to make fun of that and and allow players to like do their own world building and kind of meet them halfway so anyway that's that's all said while i was like creating all my own specific things um i'm sure my brain was also just working on like man, some of these things are just not that fun. Like D20 games to me, played them since I was 12. Yeah. I think I'm a little older than you guys started with, with 2E. Yeah, it's just like, it's not, I'm not digging, like I've I've still, I've played them, relative, I've run 5E relatively recently um, for Same. basically as a request. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't normally play it. Um, I think there's a lot better games out there, but but yeah, it was kind of a dissatisfaction. It was like both my own world feeling like really full of things and specific ideas and you get enough of those and there's the, the droplets become a cloud. And then very specifically that OSR move of just like rejecting stuff I didn't like about sort of the received, okay, we all play D&D version of, of TTRPG culture to the point where I eventually rejected the, the, the ball, the D20 itself. And that was the most freeing thing. So I would say it became Stillfleet specifically as opposed to a very similar game, but with kind of OSR-ish rules when I just was like, okay, we're going to use all the dice and your scores will be different die types and that'll be fun, I think. And we played it like once and it was really fun. And I was like, this is great. Like I've, nice. I've hit on the head, the thing I wanted to do after years of trying different stuff. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, but it's like iteratively found a thing that I think is, is interesting. I haven't seen anyone else do now. Other games have come out since this is, you know, 2016 is kind of when it crystallized. Yeah. Um, and then with the world building, yeah, it was similar. It's like, so I'd been thinking about, I, th- I, I think constantly about climate. And, and and biotechnologies especially so sort of biopunk was something i was really obsessed with like the writing of um mm-hmm. paulo bakingalupi and octavia butler especially are kind of often highlighted um yeah. but there's a lot of good writers there's a lot of interesting stuff and still while that vein of like fears about synthetic biology 2.0 have kind of quieted um in the last decade it's still sort of filtered in a culture where people are aware that like for example biocomputing like dna is actually really efficient for storing information and so future computers might be like i read a good um sci-fi leftist book about the new york commune like 50 years from now when new york has become communist and they have all their their server farms are algae based so they're like algae in the ocean doing the analytics for a planned economy 
on the East that. Coast. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and it, the description, like the main scientist who's working on it is like, yeah, we don't really know what they're doing. Like, it's very much a black box where like we use, like they do certain com- computational tasks for us that would be really hard given like climate disruption and energy grid crises for us to do on land. But we know they're doing a lot of other things. Like we think of it as like dreaming or communicating, but like, you know, he's like, I don't want to be part of the new religion that sprung up around the algae, but you know, some people yeah. take, go there. Um, so anyway, that's the kind of stuff, like I was really sort of obsessed with like, all right, well, there's very much nightmarish dystopias around mm-hmm. both harder tech and kind of biotech um, for sure. Like a lot of biopunk was straight up Luddite. I mean, it was just like, this is all bad, yeah. but you also have threads, even in, in, you know, dawn and i mean you have threads throughout that are like hopeful and like think that kind of that's just how it'll have to go like climate will wash away some of the petro hard tech because it won't make any energetic sense in a very basic big picture global capitalist system it won't work to make Mm -hmm. hard stuff the way we do so you'll end up with like this goopy future so my games were set in this goopy future the osr happened and i was just really into this idea of trying out new mechanics found a mechanic i really liked um and i think that version still lacked the thing that we ended up naming the whole system, the engine that we've built all these games around, which is the grit mechanic. So burning Mm -hmm. a pool of grit and simplifying everything to that. So everything just costs grit, but having hundreds of power options and the grit mechanics can get really weird. So like most things are pretty simple, you know, burn three or four grit or whatever. Um, And you can always boost three, six or nine grit, add those to a roll. You want to get a high number like most games. um, And that's, that's pretty intuitive. Players seem to pick up on it. And the whole mechanic of like, you have a limited pool, it doesn't all come back automatically when you sleep. So you have to really think through how fast am I going to regain grit? That all makes sense. That came a little later. So I'd say that was kind of the last piece of the puzzle when the setting became also distilled and moved away from Earth. So just kind of going in the hard SF direction of like, you're on an abandoned alien space station was really just a complete like fiat design choice of like simplifying the, what I would now would call the narrative structure so mm-hmm. that players feel like they know what to do from the jump. So players and GMs, you know, there's an evil company. They have this space station. It has all these time space gates. You can go anywhere in the universe. You can go back to Earth. They're from Earth. You can go anywhere you want. But the fact that you're in a sort of smaller space and there's all these sort of portals, but, you, you know, they're mostly unexplored. They're dangerous, whatever. Um, it's all kind of MacGuffinized on purpose and just kind of echoes of other yeah. SF. Um, it yeah. seemed to help players because when it was set on Terra for years, which is where it mostly was, it was like post-apocalyptic Earth could be anything. And there was, it was so big and vast. And I still have like, that's still a major setting for the game, but there wasn't any defined narrative structure. You didn't, it wasn't like the one evil company you work for. So right. I guess that was the last piece. So I would say it actually became really still fleet, maybe 2016, but but it was when when it was like defined as a game about you are complicit working for sort of early middle capitalist, you know, industrializing company that has access. It's found the treasure trove, right? It's found these gates mm-hmm. called Stiffworks that can go to other planets safely. Um, and they're all synced in time just for complete MacGuffin science reasons so that you can come back and thousands of years haven't passed, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So you go back and forth and you do trade and the company wants to do trade in a very kind of unequal, unethical way. And you are meant to, as the player, freak out at that and and subvert that and eventually kind of fight the company in some way. But it's not, that stuff is all, um, you know, not written out in the book too much because people take that in many different directions. And some people just want to fight space goblins and that's fine. And some people it's very slow burn and more theatrical character development and more kind of everyone's a bad guy, kind of paranoid setting like Spire, Mm -hmm. which is a similar game that came out by more famous writer right after I'd already kind of developed this. So 
it's an interesting, it was an interesting process and, and that's kind of a long winded answer, but I, but I hope you get the sense that it's like, there was no one moment, it, but I think yeah. definitely the, the, the narrative structure of the venture for the company was the like defining, you know, now it's one kind of game that's specific. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that does make sense. Um, I mean, I, that's, that's something that I really appreciate and enjoy about the game. You know, something that I constantly feel, I guess, just exhausted by whenever I'm running a game is like, how do these people know each other? Like how, you know, Mm -hmm. like what's the, what's the point of even getting this specific group of people together, you know? And for years uh, running fantasy games for me, it was like, all right, I'm just going to do the tavern thing. You're all in a tavern and uh, a fight breaks out. And what do you, what do you all do individually? And then like, you had this kind of like way of shoehorning people into a narrative structure and, you know, it's just like after years of doing that, I was always just like, this is so dumb. Like, I feel, I feel dumb doing this to my players. Uh, I don't like it when when a game master or whatever does that when I'm playing as a player character either. You know, so it feels arbitrary. And so, yeah, I, I just I really appreciate that there is this kind of quick start way to jump into something where it's like, this is the reason you're here. You know, why, whether or not you agree with it, that's besides the point. You're here. This is your job. That's what we're doing. And I think there's also something that's deeply identifiable as the, uh, with that as as a worker in late stage capitalism, where it's like uh, you don't have a choice. This is this is the system that you're in. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. You got to play the game. Doesn't feel good, but you have to do it. Yeah. Um, and at least you know, at least in Stillfleet, uh, there are these more kind of open opportunities to um, rebel against that or to actually resist that system, which is nice. Yeah, because it has to still be fun. So, like, the games, you know, the murder hoboing that's happening before, exactly, it was reversing the valence. Instead of my friends murder hoboing and me as the GM shoehorning in, like, a political cause that then they were like, oh, that's cool. We'll help, you know, this sort of well-meaning, you know, socialist uh, nascent state of post-humans and try to stop this kind of corrupt, you know, conspiracy of the sort of burkers, the the sort of um, new industrial types. Um, instead of that being the thing that I had to bring and that they had to like agree to, and it was still then could be really vague and take a different directions, which is fine. It was super, super fun, but it yeah. was more fun to me to just say from the beginning, okay, here you're in this political situation, but then it kind of can very often devolve toward murder hoboing slash kind of you're trapped in space, you know, typical SF um, shenanigans in an RPG. And I think that was like a very natural way to just, take the things I wanted to do and I found the most fun and make them really um, apparent for people, but still fun. So it wasn't, it didn't feel like I had to do anything at that point to make the players, like it wasn't as linear. I didn't have to direct them. They all just immediately got it. Like the first play test when it, when I called it Stillfleet in was in Boston and my friends were like, from literally the first session, we're like, well, we're going to have our own company. That's like more moral and we'll call it the virtuous company. And it was like mind blowing because I hadn't, told them that much i mean it's pretty simple pitch it was like you know yeah okay it's a space company it's it's weirdly kind of early modern because like they found this gate you know so they're in this advanced station like they don't really know how nanotech stuff works they're still like trying to figure that out Mm -hmm. um but people got it right away and i think since then i've noticed the same patterns of like i don't have to push too much and um and that's fun for me because i don't want to be in the position of i mean i think it has to be a little different than political organizing as such right it's games it should be fun first of all or else it isn't really a game and in a meaningful sense right um it could still be like functionally a game in some philosophical sense but it'd be sort of subordinated to another reason but the reason to do it is to have fun with your friends so 
I like being able to provide a sandbox that feels um, relevant to folks and they know what to do with without having a lot of like literature they have to read. You know, it's just like a zany setting, go have fun. And I think it's similar to other settings, I guess, that I experienced. Like I remember Numenera came out and it was around the same time again, I was like developing my specific world. And at the time I really thought, I actually for a while just we played Numenera, but we didn't like the mechanic at all. I love Monty Cook's writing. I love the world building, but it, the mechanic never really worked for me. And then the setting itself was just, again, it was so open. It's like, well, what is the point of this? So everything is kind of, technology is so futuristic, it's magical, but there was no thing driving, like you said, like, why are we adventuring? Like, what are we yeah. doing? What are my players supposed to do? So, yeah. um, you know, again, I think that, I think we'll see more games like that. I think there's a reason, like, like, I don't think it's an accident that games like Spire. I think a lot about some of the good Apocalypse World games that have come out. Um, there was a quiet one that that really was a nice book called Tremulous that was basically a Lovecraftian horror SF Apocalypse Engine game. It was a little book, really nice, and kind of assumed like the early kind of Call of Clulu vibes that it would be sort of like one and done, you guys are fucked, you know, kind of yeah. situation. Um, Cartel is a really good game, another Apocalypse World Cartel's game. Cartel's cool, yeah. Cartel's yeah, so cool. I think those kind of things were the setting. It's not that this, like, Cartel does have a hyper-specific setting and that, like, you're in Durango or whatever. Um, and Stillfleet does start with a hyper-specific, like it's a specific alien space station that's very weird. But they're all kind of MacGuffinized, to me, the right way. And Spire too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a very specific, beautiful Im- image of this dark elf, light elf city, right? With the whales that can fly and that bring this yeah, sort of yeah. cargo. But, like, at the same time, it's left mostly open, and you could just leave. And so it sort of provides a very specific starting place for mm-hmm. you to then go elsewhere. Whereas I feel like the move, when I was a kid, on was really big games had to be sort of a whole world and the the game company couldn't tell you too much what to do. And I think that was right. actually kind of a, a weird misstep um, in terms of like how people actually like to experience games. They kind of want to be told something pretty specific um, in, in my experience, at least to get started. And then they hack it, they take it apart, they do the opposite, but. No, I mean, I think I, I, I would agree with you. I think it is a misstep and, you know, I think, yeah, Spire, you know, of course, still fleets as we're talking about that, uh, it, you know, even uh, maybe like Blades in the Dark, it has a way of, yeah. of front loading the politics of the game. And I, I think that that does a lot for the general flavor. You know, it's like in a lot of like, again, a lot of dragon games I've played, a lot of other like fantasy stuff where it is that other, uh, I guess, kind of design philosophy where it's like, well, we have this big detailed world, but like just fig- figure it out from there you know, it's the, the politics are always so vanilla and they're not really that thought out in any significant way that, that affects the player characters. So, you know, it's like, it's kind of like, what else do you do other than murder hobo? Because you're essentially in a world with no political ramifications for what you're doing and, and thus no moral or ethical ramifications for what you're doing as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I appreciate a game that just puts it out there right in the floor and says, this is the political system that you're in, you know, this is your role in it. And then lets you kind of figure out and be generative through play from there. Yeah. And I think we'll talk next week with, with your game. Um, it's a similar question of like, well, what does it mean to be a hero in, in a world that's screwed up where the structure of the world, you know, has these problems. And I think it's, it's really a question. Um, it's kind of the, the difference between like network TV and prestige TV, IRL <laughs> in 2023. It's like, do we think, generally being a cop makes you a hero automatically or is it more heroic to like think about pushing back against really corrupt structures of power um 
so I think obviously be like, while because I remember being a little kid and being really torn in that way, where it's like, I both wanted to be a hero, but I saw the appeal of being a chaos goblin, right? Just like being a min maxed, yeah. just, you know, crazy character in like Planescape and just doing oh, whatever Planescape. random stuff. Yeah. And it was fun. It was fun. But I also over time got kind of tired of that. And I could see my friends and I could see people with different levels of kind of kid ADD stuff, you know, they would get variously into it or out of it. <laughs> And, it, and for them, if they weren't as interested in acting, character development, like writing, it it really was a question. Like, well, they didn't really want to do hero stuff actually at the end of the day. And doing yeah. just murder hoboing with no point does kind of get old. If not fast, then eventually it gets old. Um, for yeah. different people, different thresholds. Again, play what you want to play. But I definitely think there's a lot of games now that are at least saying, look, um, it's not as open-ended because people might like a little direction to kind of, you know, that, that bottleneck to just start, like you said, like you're in a tavern. Okay. Why are you in the tavern together? Um, you know, yeah. and some of the classics, if you think of Lord of the Rings or something, it's like little dudes smoking weed who don't want to do any heroic <laughs> stuff who have to do something to save the whole world. So yeah. it's a little more directive, right. In that sense, everything they're doing is like from the very beginning to save the planet. Now we might say that's like almost histrionic. It's like melodramatic by like modern, you know, design standards, but absolutely. Uh, but I think there's something to that idea of like directing the players from the beginning lightly. They can still go whatever they still have agency. And then also considering that heroism is not probably what most people actually want to perform. Um, they mm -hmm. want that to emerge organically and just yeah. telling them they're here, they're a paladin and they always do right is like really kind of silly. And I think most kids probably today are like, yeah, that's, that's kind of corny. So I think there's more games kind of playing around with, and, you know, and, and exploring dark stuff. I mean, Cartel again is another example. Like I know, you know, um, didn't have not worked on that game. I just think it's really fun and really cool. Like you can really take it either way. Like it can be something where it's almost too much like law enforcement is good or law enforcement is bad and being a narco traficante is good. But I think a well-played game would just explore like these are real people who have interesting situations that can mm -hmm. be dramatic in a very fun way to sort of inhabit just like if you imagined a knight fighting a goblin could be a fun dramatic situation to yeah. save the town or whatever but you know again just freshing it up coming in with new situations and i think um some of those genre those questions just to me it seemed very obvious that other people weren't exploring kind of biopunk um the sort of mix of technology and time that i feel like was really maybe because of the anthropology of technology, like it was very apparent to me that that would be interesting. Like, okay, you found a bunch of alien stuff. It's very advanced. You don't know how it works. So yeah. what are you going to do with it? It is kind of like magic items, but having the ability to talk in the idiom of like hard SF to players has been so fun. They ask the wildest questions. We'll get in these long, they're like, how big is like, what's the circumference of this planet? Or like, oh, the gun that, that when you shoot it at people, it splits them into different multiple copies. <laughs> it's like completely ridiculous science fantasy but they'll you know we'll get into like the physics of like okay so there's some it, quantum entangles and then it, you know it just it's like how do you divide by self or something like uh -huh. um and it becomes these little philosophical moments that are super fun um and again you could play it as in, a, in as goofy register as you want you can also have very epic like we're gonna like and so that's part of it like perform your fun political journey with your friends but in a low-key way yeah. where at the end of the day also you're just gonna go home and you know not not be playing games anymore it's it's so it's not organizing it's not going to lead to anything immediately it might help in the background just be part of your life and and how have you more able to express and with friends like ask questions mm -hmm. um and kind of like shit test like kick the tires on different political positions how radical are you um these are ways that we can express ourselves through games so again i think maybe you'll your game will get at some of these these issues about 
death and dying. I mean, I can imagine, you know, all games can get there um, yeah. in terms of depth, but just to speak for Steel Fleet, those were things when I decided to make it a real game and publish it, it was after many years of these different pieces coming together and feeling like, oh, I can finally articulate them. Not, it's not what I set out to do, but like when I realized I could say these things, I was like, all right, screw it. Let me, let me try to like put that, put it out and see what people say. I think you're right. The, the, what do I want to say? Uh, political consciousness, right. Is uh, it's something that develops slowly over time. It's not, you know, yeah. it, I, I think that for some people there might be like big epiphany moments. Like, you know, you, I don't know, read the communist manifesto for the first time or something. And you're like, Oh yeah, we should own the rights of production. Like, you know, of course, like those can be epiphany moments, but for the most part, it is like you said, kicking the tires. It's, it's, figuring things out and and essentially you know it is a form of play where you're trying to Mm. figure out where you do land how you do actually feel about things and so i think you know yeah gaming can be a really powerful gateway into that and it's nice to think about entering that in a more intentional way where it's like this is I, i don't know i'm trying to think of like video games from like the 90s or 2000s that kind of play around with that there's like red planet or something like that it's like you're a martian revolutionary stuff like that but it's like you know that always feels very secondary right Uh, because you're still ultimately going on tactical shooting missions in a lot of those games fallout has a lot of that stuff built in too yeah Um, yeah, and it's a survival game with politics which is is halfway there but the narrative structure I haven't played a lot of the newer ones really, but, it, but the earlier ones I was really into. And it's like, you didn't have to do anything too political. You could kind of just murder hobo in a world that was political, which was again, you right. know, was still mind blowing at the time I thought. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. All that's to say that, you know, I, I think that it's uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's also important that we have games that, that allow for those structures to at least be in place that allow people to explore it. Um, and, you know, like you said earlier, it, it, I think one of the beautiful things about tabletop role-playing games is that you, it is open-ended. You can do what you as a player want to do in the game. Right. And whether that's, you know, you personally or you're really inhabiting your character, like really role-playing, whatever. So, you know, people will do whatever they desire in the game world. But having the structure in place to, to play politically and to meditate, ruminate on those ideas is, is really important. Yeah, and I think something that we've thought about as a group as the the game has moved from a hobby, you know, book that I wrote for my friends to a product for a small business that we're trying to make work in terms of just being able to make more games at least, like at minimum. Yeah. Um and luckily we've we've been I mean, we're really appreciative. Like a lot of people have been really supportive. Um and so it's not like we haven't taken out some crazy loan or something. I mean, we're we're doing fine in the sense that we haven't like lost money while producing physical books, which are, which are really high quality. Um, and we took a lot of time yeah. on and made a lot of art for and all that stuff. So I, mean, I will um, say this is, this is, oh, thank one you. Of the ni- the book. this is one of the nicest, but I mean, this is so, it's so great. Well, we really <laughs> opted. I convinced everyone to do this, like the big book approach, which in retrospect, I'm like, Oh my God, it's, it's so expensive. <laughs> the, the upside is like, it does feel nice. The page, the paper's really nice. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful book and, and that has um, only minimal, I mean, in terms of the, the design, right? It's only minimally to do with me because I mostly was writing it. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I have to shout out my friends who joined me on this epic adventure there. But I was going to say some of the, some of the, the ideas of like politics and games for, for us as a company is exactly about exploring those boundaries too and, and not reproducing Stillfleet. So while I love Stillfleet and we're going to keep making content for it, we're also coming up with new ideas and trying to figure out, okay, what's next in terms of 
other ways to kind of do leftism in a fun way in game universes that isn't like you know still fit is a little more like spire and it's it's kind of a kill your master's game right like ultimately you don't have to and the system is much stronger than you it's it's, it's not all the way to cyberpunk dystopia in that sense but it's maybe yeah. further that direction um from a fantasy game but you know yeah you can kind of fight back because you're you do have some heroic epic powers so you know how do we design games that are lower power how do we design games that are more appealing for kids how do we design games with fantasy tropes and still think about sort of class relations the the role of like you know speculative like races in games like that's something that's a real live wire that still fleet kind of avoids by being just so silly it's so far in the future so the made up yeah. aliens are just made up they're not they don't correspond to anything in 2023 anyway those are just those are questions that are like i i don't presume to have all the answers to or think that we as a company will we'll come up with like all the answers but i like to think that we're really we we have a practice that's so fun like i want it to work in part just because it's been mind-blowing to have like really a labor of love that requires so many hours also have like a deep meaning behind it and also kind of work um, with a community. So I think that's another reason TTRPGs to me are different than other forms of art because you have to play test. You have to get feedback. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I guess people publish without doing that, but uh, at their peril. I would yeah. Say. So yeah, I can, I can only think of a handful of one page RPGs that I know have not been play tested. Like I think fucked up little guy, I think Grant Howitt wrote that. I think that. that's Grant Howitt, yeah. Yeah, and it was just like, he was just, I think he played Elden Ring or something and was like, oh, this is funny, I'll just put it out there. And it like blew up overnight. And he was like, oh, I guess I should have playtested this before I put it out there, but whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, but he's he done so many of those one-page games, which yeah. play around with the same like 2D6 or 3D6 mechanics. Some have totally unique mechanics, but um, yeah. I think he's I mean, kind of earned earned it yeah he definitely has and, and fucked up little guy is is more um you know it's a, it's a, a vehicle for storytelling more than it is i would say like a hard like you know role-playing game it's more of just like get around the table with your friends and tell some goofy stories and yeah throw a dice every now and throw a die every now and then i think most of those one-off like to me they're they're always fun for one game only because it's it's hard to imagine the arcs of character development going longer than a couple hours yeah um but they can be super fun like honey heist and the the untitled goose game rpg was very fun i played one of those uh, <laughs> uh as a goose not as a gm and that and i think the rolling yeah it was very unclear kind of when you rolled which die but it also like really didn't matter i was just like i'm a goose who likes to smoke cigarettes and vape that was like the thing i yeah. decided my goose got into and uh, i was just really aggressive toward humans so again very like that's just kind of murder hoboing but it became weirdly about you know the politics of like human non-human interactions goose, in a small town goose, yeah. human, goose human relations yeah yeah so anything <laughs> anything if you put your philosophy head on can be like a little bit deeper but yeah mostly games are silly and that's again still fleet is mostly also a silly like good time yeah so yeah okay it's good it's it's good to be silly like they should be I and think. it's good to be silly with dark things which again i'm excited yeah. to turn to plug dance macabre which we'll talk about you know on a give it its own episode but i think that's one reason people have really been drawn to merc borg and back yeah. to like the bx like the early dragon game editions where the lethality is very high or like dcc there's like a lot of versions of this the, the the lethality is high um everything is just a murderous monster that wants to kill you and it's it's sort of like living in a metal video yeah. um, but there's something cathartic about that and i think there's something cathartic about pretending to be a goose and all the humans are just annoyed at you there's something cathartic about you know being the bad guy there's something cathartic mm -hmm. about refusing to you know being bartleby right like not doing your job well and still fleet 
or yeah. inspire being suspicious of obviously your oppressors, but also like the ministers are probably sending you on a suicide quest. You know, it's like there's something about leaning into the darkness that games can create a really nice safe space to do as a friend group. So it's not as solo as video games and mm-hmm. it's not as tracked like linear as video games. Um, and I think, you know, that's, I, I imagine you have thoughts on that, I guess. So I, I'm, that's really a question for you, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I think calling it a metal video is a, is a good way to think about it. Like, I, I don't know. I think about camp a lot or campiness, um, mm. not, not camp in the British sense, but like, yeah, uh, camp horror, things like that, where it like, I don't know, you think about like Friday the 13th or any of that kind of stuff in that genre where it's just like, yes, it is dark and it is ultra violent, but to like, just to a point of absurdity. You know, and I think that when you when you reach that point, it does allow for a lot of freedom, you know, and a lot of just like you can kind of do whatever you want. And, you know, we'll we'll talk more about Dance Macabre, but that is something that I I kind of wanted to explore with that game where, you know, again, lethality rate is really high. There are mechanics that allow the character to continue going afterwards. But, you know, it's like, where where do you take a character who you start as a as a villain, as a as a peasant in French medieval society? You're, you're nobody. And then you're kind of chosen uh, or stumble across this kind of epic role that you're placed in, but you're still just, you know, you're illiterate. You're, <laughs> you're, for better or worse, just kind of like completely uneducated. And you're just kind of thrust into this world of, of like really horrible monsters and gore and repeated trauma of dying terribly over and over again and so it's like you know what do you do with a character like that i think i think that there's a lot of possibilities and i think i do think that that's why games like Mortborg and dcc and and a lot of the bx stuff is really popular is because it's like well if i'm gonna die like you know if you go into it knowing that what does that allow you to open up uh in terms right. of role play um if you know that it's a dire situation if you know that things aren't going to go well maybe that's a- an entertaining space to enter yeah exactly and it's the freedom of the absurd that you know people experience it with with the with modernity you know so as as the mm-hmm. fond siècle led to the the first world war you had the birth of all these kind of modernist genres of literature and art um and cinema that were kind of trying to grapple with the meaninglessness the horror of mechanized death you know an industrialized yeah. scale death and um you know i always think of the the famous sam beckett phrase you know i can't go on i'll go on it's like like just what you're saying with your game you literally die and come back Um, you don't have a choice you don't have a choice you you must go on you know i I think i think a lot of that informs the political turn in games and Mm -hmm. um the metal turn as well as um there is an there is an impulse toward religiosity and just playing with some of those forms i don't think it's that everyone is suddenly sincerely like an early christian but i think going back to like metal sort of satanic panic stuff is partially about just quickly tapping into kind of cutting through a lot of bullshit and culture and just being like whatever like i'm thinking of um what's his name gabriel kubaroga's uh, hell knight which is you know it's like you're yeah. a demon on on earth to do bad stuff but actually you know it's it's like you're punishing bad guys so it's meant to like have a narrative structure where you know you can you can get away with being kind of evil but you're actually like kind of heroic um and i think similarly with with political games i'd like to think still fleet like we just ran a live stream with like political assassination which is not like necessarily a fun sounding topic but it was both very darkly funny and yeah. also really made people think about like their values like well do we want you know do we want society to take this kind of a turn which might you know it's like on balance how do you how do you judge these things um and mm-hmm. and, and how do you practically do revolution so you could have mm-hmm. a game focus in a sort of meditative way on like your own individual consciousness and death and dying you can have it 
kind of further back in the cycle of someone's life and focus on your ability as an adult with some agency in the world, whether a, lo- a worker sort of tr- a surf a villain on the farm or uh, an elite mercenary, you know, basically classic murder hobo type. Um, you know, your agency to do something, to change anything. And what do you choose to do? Do you just make money? Um, you know, get loot, live well. Do you just do random stuff? Do you try to be heroic? Do you try to overthrow society? And I think, you know, just having games be a little more aware of themselves and what they're sort of asking players to do and not to totally knock. I think some of the early ones were the writers probably were asking some of these same questions. It just occurs to me that it took, it's been like, the same sort of style of gameplay and even through to today there's still so many games that are just recreating like 1975 dragon stuff yeah um and i think there's so much more interesting just like what ifs to explore so i'm really excited for this pod in part because i think we're gonna get people on i think hopefully we'll even have some debates um maybe some people will you know have different ideas about sort of the right way to do it but i think hopefully we'll have kind of that car talk like ecumenical um approach where we're offering different perspectives that are kind of useful and hopefully if people like playing games but also designing them that that's my hope is that these would actually be useful thoughts for people to be like okay where where does my game fit you know in these various imagined low-key low stakes but like imagine you know matrices right like am i okay is my game more about this or more about that so mm-hmm. I, I think that is a kind of an interesting thing that you and i kind of naturally seem to do is is kind of ask those questions okay is my game doing this or doing that other thing so hopefully that's interesting to other folks Thanks for listening to Why We Roll. Our theme music is by the brilliant Sam Tyndall and Arcline. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitch and what used to be Twitter at Why We Roll, and on Instagram at whyweroll.pod. You can find out more about Dance Macabre at timespaceplace.itch.io slash dance dash macabre. You can find out more about Stillfleet at stillfleet.com. Thanks for listening.